people are the most consequential and dangerous forces on earth. Well, personality psychology is about the nature of human nature. It's about people. And wouldn't that be useful to know? I mean, it seems to me, I can't, I can't think of a more important problem. You're listening to the Science of Personality podcast, brought to you by Hogan Assessments, the global leader in personality assessment and leadership development since 1987. Your hosts are Hogan Chief Science Officer and world-renowned personality psychologist, Dr. Ryan Sherman, along with Hogan PR Manager and resident storyteller, Blake Lepp. Hello and welcome everyone back to the Science of Personality podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Sherman, along with my co-host, as always, Blake Lepp. Say hello, Blake. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Science of Personality podcast, episode 41. Today, Ryan and I are going to do our end-of-year special to talk about the 2021 derailers of the year. We did this last year, and it was a lot of fun, so we decided to make this an annual tradition. But before we get into that, we would like to make a quick announcement. Because it's the holiday season, we will be skipping a week before we release our next episode. That episode would normally be released two weeks after this episode, which is January 4th. However, because we will be just getting back from our holiday break, the next episode will be released on Tuesday, January 11th. And with that, let's get into our 2021 derailers of the year. So, Ryan, um, you know, can you tell the audience a little bit about what we mean by uh, derailers and, and where that comes from? <laughs> yeah, so, so as you mentioned, we did this last year and it was a lot of fun. Um, so we thought, yeah, it'd be, it'd be cool to try to do it again, make this an annual thing. Yeah, so when we talk about derailers, we're talking about really the scales, the core scales on the Hogan Developmental Survey. These are 11 dimensions that are known to, well, derail careers to uh, lead to managerial failure. And so we're going to... Uh, identify a person or an event or something that happened in 2021 that we think best exemplifies each of these 11 derailers. And, um, you know, it's a lot of fun to generate these. And uh, we hope, hopefully, uh, this helps our audience members uh, get a better sense of what our derailers are and, and what it really means to derail in these ways. Well, okay, Ryan. Well, right out of the gate, we will start with Excitable, which for this particular derailer, we chose the January 6th Capitol Rioters. So, Ryan, tell us a little bit about why we chose the Capitol Rioters. Yeah, so, you know, th this is a story that has sort of persisted all year. Uh, I think you can still see stuff about it in the news today. So this is probably one that people haven't forgotten. I think as we get farther down the list, some folks will go, oh, yeah, that did happen this year. But the Capitol Rioters uh, event was, you know, obviously this uh, uh, effort by uh, some group of people to sort of uh, – I don't necessarily want to, I want to say it's not really overthrow the government, but sort of uh, stop the uh, certification of the 2020 election results. And um, I don't actually know how many there were there. I don't know if it was in the hundreds or thousands, but there were lots of people there. Um, and, and sadly, uh, it actually led to the deaths of, I think, uh, four people, including a police officer as a part of the sort of the rioting and the chaos. Obviously, uh, you know, that's, that's a sad part. Uh, Congress, the people in Congress, uh, also like left, escaped when it ran off for safety. Um, but why does this event, uh, you know, re reflect excitable? And, and the reason for that is because it's really emotion driven. And that's what excitability is all about. It's about, 
uh, having an emotional reaction to things and just acting on instinct, acting on gut. Uh, Everybody's guilty of, of having excitable moments where uh, you know something we don't like happens and and we and we react to it emo- in an emotional manner and, and that's what we really see you know with this Capital Rioters event is this strong emotional reaction to right I, I don't think anybody would say oh this was a logical well thought out decision right uh, it was really just this emotional reaction to to an outcome that that we that um, some folks didn't like and and that and that's what excitability is all about. Yeah, and I think sometimes we talk about excitable um, through two different lenses, though, right? Um, sometimes it's internalized, where maybe you know somebody isn't showing a, a display of emotions, but, but then oftentimes it's externalized, and I think that is exactly what happened in this case. Would you agree, Ryan? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, there certainly can be excitable issues where where we don't express those verbally, where we, um, you know, uh, j- just start to feel those emotions internally or don't even express them, you know, in, in any behavioral way. Um, uh, you know, and there's a lot of research on this from an emotional standpoint about externalizing versus internalizing. Um, uh, there's, in fact, gender differences in how these things can be exhibited. Uh, um, women tend to internalize emotions, particularly in, in children. There's a lot of research on this showing that girls tend to internalize more, boys tend to externalize more. And I think at this, uh, that among the capital rioters, there were uh, there seemed to be a heavier male presence. And this isn't to suggest that there weren't any women there, but there were certainly lots of men there, and uh, that's probably one of the reasons why we see this as an externalized, uh, excitable behavior versus uh, internalized. Well, and I think it's important for our listeners to know that you know we are in no way making light of this situation. This was a tragic event. Um, however, when you look back on 2021 and we're trying to um, determine you know, which events or person uh, most exemplifies this particular derailer, it was kind of hard to not choose this one. Uh, but again, we're not making light of this and we want our, our audience to know that this was a very serious event. Um, for those of you who maybe aren't in the U.S., I'm sure you even um, were, were getting coverage of that in your own respective country. Uh, but this was something that we felt that we needed to bring up. And um, that's why we chose Capital Riders for Excitable. Well, well, and that's the thing, Blake, is that, you know, when we're talking about derailers, a lot of times derailers are negative things. They aren't things that, you know, and they, they don't always have to be, right? There there are positive aspects, for example, to being emotional, um, you know, having emotional reactions to things, right? When, when something is really bad or really negative is happening, right? Emotional reactions uh, protect us, help us make better decisions in many cases. So, it's not that having an emotional reaction is is uh, necessarily bad or wrong all of the time, but we do know that it does, uh, in business context, in work related context, tend to derail careers, and so that's why you know we we chose this is because it's representative of that kind of behavior, representative of that action, uh, and I think that that for a lot of the things we're going to see is that on this list because they are these derailers necessarily uh, tend to lead to career derailment um that, that there may be sort of some negative connotation to it and as you point out we're not trying to make fun or make jokes uh, about these kind of events themselves but just to point out how they are uh, connected to to core psychological phenomena yeah so i just wanted to give that Give that little uh, heads up to our, our <laughs> listeners that we were we're not we're definitely not making light of this situation, um, but it's important to to highlight these particular things. So, moving on to our next derailer of the year, um, skeptical, 
And the award for uh, most skeptical of the year goes to the anti-vaxxers. So, Ryan, why did we choose anti-vaxxers for this derailer? Yeah, so uh, skeptical is really all about mistrust. It's about saying, you know, I don't trust these things that are going on. And as I just referenced a moment ago, there are you know positive aspects of mistrust. For example, when uh, you are in a situation where you're likely to be deceived, when people are likely to be uh, to, to be tricking you uh, in some way, uh, being skeptical is a good thing. Uh, saying, hey, I'm not sure if I believe that. Um, there's cases where, uh, you know, people have been, uh, uh, purporting bad science. There's cases where people have been purporting bad business and being skeptical is a way to protect yourself from getting caught up. We did a whole episode uh, about uh, schemes and scams um, and and to avoid being caught up in those things, having a, a healthy dose of skeptical uh, can, can help you out. But in the case of uh, anti-vaxxers, our, our awardee for skeptical this year, uh, it, it's really about uh, too much mistrust, right? And getting too mistrustful uh, can often lead to bad results for you. This is uh, certainly true in in your career. Um, again, assuming you work in a career where most people can be trusted, most people that you're working with um, are, are trying to build positive, productive relationships with you, being skeptical and being untrustworthy leads to negative consequences for you because all relationships, and we've, this is a sort of a cliche at this point, all relationships are based on trust. And if you don't trust other people, then they don't trust you back. And so you can't establish a strong relationship there. Uh, in the case of anti-vaxxers, you know, the, this level of mistrust, of course, has, has led them to not get uh, vaccinated. Uh, and all of the data seem to show um, that, uh, that vaccination is good for the global population and gl- good for your national population. Population, local population, all of those kinds of things. Um, so, so I think, yeah, the, the level of mistrust. And I'm not sitting here judging right or wrong, uh, but uh, uh, what I am saying is that that level of mistrust is is clearly on display with the anti-vaxxers. Yeah, and I think it's important. You know, there's there, it's always nice to have a, a healthy dose of skepticism. And I think really um, there was some good advice out there, and I believe some of it even came from the the CDC, the the Center for Disease Control here in the United States, and the World Health Organization. You know, where if you are a little bit skeptical of this, it, maybe it was important for you to uh, consult with your healthcare physician before taking the vaccine, get their thoughts on it. Uh, but then again, you know, we, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Um, yes, these vaccines went through at a record pace, but so far they have proven to be safe and effective. Um, not, of course, not in all cases. Um, we can't pretend like everybody um, that got vaccinated had um, you know, everything was perfect. There were some, you know, complications with some people, uh, that, that took the vaccine, but, you know, on the, on a global level as a whole, um, these vaccines uh, have proven to be very safe and very effective. Um, but then again, you know, if you are worried about it, that there was good advice out there to consult with your healthcare physician, just to, to get a little bit more peace of mind. So, yeah, and, and I think that point, Blake, that you're making is is exactly right. Is that you know, if you are skeptical, it's 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 a good thing to be skeptical. It's it's that's it's not necessarily a good thing to be uh, to just trust everything that anybody tells you all the time. But uh, to that point about consulting with other experts, consulting with other people uh, is a way to reduce that skepticism. Whereas we see with the anti-vaxxers, that was you know not 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 an option, right? It was no matter what, we're going to be skeptical. Yeah, so um, we do encourage, you know, if 
you know, if you're not vaccinated, hey, talk with your doctor and, and see if maybe it is a, a good thing to do that. But, you know, that's that's a choice people can make on their own. We're just here to uh, determine who would fit best with the skeptical derailers. So moving on to our next derailer is cautious. And for cautious, we have selected cancel culture or more specifically, people who are scared of cancel culture. So, Ryan, do you want to elaborate on this a little bit? Yeah, so this is something that actually I think it started maybe about five years ago. Sort of, uh, this was right on the the heels or right uh, around the same time as the Me Too movement. Um, th- this idea of canceling someone who, uh, typically a public figure, typically a celebrity who says something or does something that people find to be inappropriate or uh, offensive. Um, the, the idea of canceling means to, to say, we're, we're not going to support that person. We're going to um, not like, for example, if it's a celebrity, we're not going to watch their TV shows we're, or if they're an actor, right? If they're a musician, we won't buy their, their music albums. Um, wh- whatever that is, if they're a comedian, we won't, we won't go to their shows. And uh, the idea here is not that cancel culture itself is cautious, but that it the, the presence of cancel culture does certainly make people cautious. And, and what do we mean by cautious? We mean, uh, you know, reluctant to take chances, uh, avoiding risk, right? So you might do things like say, that's it. I'm not getting on social media anymore. Uh, a number of comedians have talked about how um, that they don't do colleges anymore, right? They say, well, that's it. I'm not doing colleges anymore because of cancel culture, right? So it makes people uh, who tend to, uh, be public figures or to say controversial things, be a little bit more careful about those kinds of things that they say. Yeah. And, and, you know, whenever it comes to cancel culture, I mean, a lot of these things that people are getting called out for it, I mean, people say dumb things, you know, and put, and we're in a world right now where it's out there for everyone to consume. And so forever, I, yeah, for, forever. <laughs> I mean, and, and you see a lot of people who, um, get canceled, you know, or quote canceled, maybe for something they said or did five, 10, 15 years ago, because there is that record of, of whatever they said out there for everyone to consume, even if at the time it didn't feel like it would ever see the light of day. And so I do think that that's led to other people, you know, you, you can learn from other people's mistakes and, and hopefully that, um, you know, cancel culture can have a positive impact on society um, rather than a lot of people who think or view of this as negative. Yeah. I, and I mean, it's certainly, you know, it's, a, it's any consumer's right to say, Hey, that's it. I'm not going to support that, that kind of thing. And, and I've said this, you know, before, you know, people will talk about, well, is this, is cancel culture a violation of free speech and, and, and the answer is clearly, uh, it's not, right? You can say whatever you want. Free speech just means we're not going to arrest you and throw you in prison for saying those things. Uh, but what it, it certainly doesn't mean people have to buy your products, that you can say whatever you want and people have to buy whatever you're selling. Um, or, or that you have to, you're entitled to a television show or whatever it is. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think it really just reflects the fact that consumers have the power uh, to decide. Um, and, but certainly, uh, that's made people much more, you know, who historically had free run of mill about saying whatever they wanted, much more careful about what they're saying and, and doing. Yeah. So, 
with that. Hey, like if we keep going at this pace, uh, we might be the next victims of cancel culture. <laughs> well, uh, that leads us right into the next one, <laughs> um, which is reserved. And you know, this one was uh, was a tough one, but and we want to. I want to put out a little disclaimer here. This is in no way partisan. We are we are trying to be as objective as possible whenever we're coming up with these uh, various groups or people uh, who are uh, that we put the the derailer tag on. And for this particular one, it is reserved. And we have selected U.S. President Joe Biden. And Ryan asked me to talk a little bit about this one. And the reason that we chose this was, if you think of reserve, you're thinking of someone who maybe kind of withdraws under pressure. Uh, somebody who just kind of, you know, steps out of the limelight. Uh, you, you might you, you might not find them whenever the, the building's on fire. Um, but... I want to talk a little bit about this one as it pertains to the the legislation or the infrastructure bill that was trying to, that Democrats are trying to pass in uh, the U.S. House and Senate. And there were a lot of negotiations going on, a lot of back and forth. Of course, um, a big holdup there was, um, you know, there's a 50-50 split in the United States Senate between Democrats and Republicans. Well, there were two um, Senate Democrats, one from uh, a woman from Arizona and a, a man from West Virginia who were the holdouts and they weren't, they weren't willing to, uh, to go with the bill as it was originally structured. And this is one of Joe Biden's big uh, things that he wanted to accomplish in his first year. And whenever everything was kind of all the negotiations were going on, it was got pretty heated and at those times, he was kind of nowhere to be found. And I think that was actually a time whenever he really, you know, could have stepped up and, and tried to do a little bit more. But whenever uh, the media was asking for, you know, time or expecting to have time with him uh, in a press conference setting, they just weren't getting it. And so that was kind of why we chose Joe Biden. We're not saying anything about his you know, track record or anything like that. We're just pointing to a specific example that got a lot of coverage. So I don't know, Ryan, do you want to elaborate any more on that? Yeah. I mean, yeah, to, to your point there, Blake, it, it, it is hard to, you know, we obviously we haven't assessed Joe Biden. So, you know, it's hard to say, you know, is Joe Biden reserved uh, by nature or, or is this just some, some certain circumstances where that sort of reserved action came out? But I do think it exemplifies, and that's the point of these derailers that they exemplify, uh, these, 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 this list here that they exemplify that derailer. And I think your, your example is exactly right. Uh, when it came time to, to get things done on this infrastructure bill. It was like, well, where is he? Was, is he going to say something? Is he going to jump in the fray here? And, and it seemed like he was nowhere to be found. Yeah. Which, um, you know, that's, that's just part of it. We're, uh, we're just the observers on the outside looking in. And, um, you know, I, I wouldn't wish it on anybody to be, to be working in that situation anyway. It's a very difficult one. Uh, but one that we wanted to highlight here. For our next derailer, we have Leisurely. And for this one, we have, uh, we have selected Ever Given, um, the, the container ship that uh, was uh, held up for, what, six days, Ryan, in the Suez Canal. Um, I, I'll be honest to our listeners. I didn't follow this story very closely, so I'm going to hand it over to Ryan and let him talk a little bit more about why we chose Ever Given for Leisurely. 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you might have forgotten. I think this is one that I feel like a lot of people might have forgotten that this actually did happen this year, right? When I when I was thinking about it, I was like, wait, was that this year or was that last year? No, in fact, it was this year. The Ever Given got stuck in the Suez Canal. And yeah, uh, the, Su- the, the Suez Canal is a really critical and has actually been uh, for centuries, a really critical, uh, a point of, of transportation for, for, for ships, right. For, for shipping. In fact, the entire Ottoman empire was essentially built on the fact that they controlled, uh, the Suez canal and could, um, and, and, and could, uh, set prices for, for, uh, for goods there. Um, so, when the Ever Given gets stuck there, which is one of the largest container ships uh, in the world, gets stuck there for six days. Naturally, lots of things got shut down uh, for a lot of time. We're still uh, feeling effects, uh, not necessarily related to that, but in general, we're still feeling effects of uh, supply chain issues. And th- there were estimates of, and I forget what they exactly were, but there were huge amounts of costs that they figured it was costing uh, globally, from a GDP perspective, every day that the Suez Canal was shut down by the ship. And why does that exemplify leisurely? Well, because that's what leisurely is all about. Leisurely is all about blocking things up, slow walking uh, work, uh, making it so that nothing can get done uh, in a timely or, or efficient manner. And, and we see this in the workplace uh, uh, all the time. Uh, people who in, insist that everything has to follow certain protocols and procedures, but uh, in doing so, right, uh, sort of intentionally set up obstacles to make it more difficult to get things done. Uh, insist on going their own pace. Hello, ever given? Like, come on, let's get moving here. <laughs> no, it's stuck, <laughs> not moving. Nothing's happening. So I think this event really represents leisurely quite nicely. Well, okay. Moving on to our next derailer, Bold. So with Bold, we chose Elizabeth Holmes. Uh, if she's been in the news lately, uh, her trial is ongoing. Um, and she was the the founder of uh, Theranos, which was a, a blood testing company that was supposed to kind of revolutionize the um, you know, how we do blood testing and what we can glean from that. So Ryan, I know we brought her up in our corporate greed episode a couple of months ago. Would you like to talk a little bit more about why we chose Elizabeth Holmes for bold? Yeah. So I think one of the things that's come out of we, as we look at her interviews and we look at the, the, um, you know, some of the court documents, some of the things that have come up in those proceedings is just this, uh, unbelievable amount of confidence, um, uh, it's, it's my conclusion at this point, uh, that she, uh, that was one of her biggest flaws was this in, incredible overconfidence, uh, this desire to uh, achieve great things and believe that no matter what she could achieve those things. Um, it turns out the science behind what she was selling was never, it's crazy, right? To think that the core basic science behind what she was selling didn't exist. There was nothing there. Um, yet billions of dollars got invested in this company, in this idea, with with no scientific backing whatsoever. Um, but it's my take that she just really believed that if she willed it enough, that if she wanted it enough, that if she was confident enough about it, that with her presence there, it would get done anyway. And this is a really characteristic uh, pattern that we see with people who are bold. They believe they can accomplish anything. They believe that anything can be done with their presence there. If, if they're around, that, that anything can be done. And in the case of Elizabeth Holmes, it seems that she believed that just by being there, just by being involved in this business, um, some miraculous 
scientific breakthrough would occur that had never occurred before, which is pretty bold given that she's not even a scientist by training. So I think she fits it really nicely here. Well, and you know, as of we're recording this, Ryan, I don't believe that that trial has come to its end yet. Correct? Not yet. Not yet. But who knows? It might, by the time this, this drops, <laughs> you know, and, and it's public, uh, but I, it's something to keep an eye on. I, I'm actually very curious. And I think a lot of people are really kind of, um, really looking at this case because it's, it's, it's just kind of strange and, and very interesting to just keep an eye on. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For our next derailer of the year, we have mischievous, my personal favorite. Um, and if you've listened to any previous es- episodes, we know that this particular derailer is why I would never be a good spy. Um, however, for this one, uh, we chose Wall Street Bets. So, Ryan, would you like to to tell the audience why we chose Wall Street Bets? Yeah, so Wall Street Bets is a, a sub forum, I, or is my understanding on Reddit, right? So I'm not a big Reddit user, but my understanding is that it's essentially a group on Reddit, uh, people who post, and the, the big things that we've seen them do in 2021 are drive up prices for um, stocks, uh, sort of arbitrarily. It's re- it's really crazy, right? So essentially, um, the, through speculation. By saying, uh, you know, by buying, 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 um, that the price of certain stocks went up, even though sort of fundamentally at an operations level. So I'll give you examples GameStop, Dogecoin, I think AMC, the movie theater company, um, all had different points this year where their, their stock price went up pretty high. And, and then, you know, they, these, they were basically showing that they can drive these stock prices up just at their own will, which is kind of interesting because their point was, hey, Wall Street investors have been doing this to us for decades, right? Have been arbitrarily driving up stocks, selling them when they're high, and then watching it collapse back down. And the people who got in late, the people who got in last, the people who saw that these stocks were going up, are the ones who end up losing out all that money. So Wall Street Bets was just, uh, uh, it was sort of a, a grassroots movement to say, hey, we can do the same thing, uh, particularly with the power of things like Robinhood and, uh, and other sort of free trading apps that have given more people access to the ability to do this. Uh, we're probably going to see a lot more of this, but I think it's really characteristically mischievous because, uh, you know, it's, it's not... Uh, illegal per se, but it's certainly uh, on the shadier side of things. It's certainly a a violation of social compacts, uh, so to speak, to to say, okay, we're going to do the same. We're going to drive this price up uh, and and just to see how high we can take it, for example. Yeah. And, you know, I'll be upfront and honest here. You know, I rode the Dogecoin roller coaster a few times in in the past year. It was actually great because I put 20 bucks in um, and, and, you know, get X amount of retiring. Yeah. I put 20 bucks in and then, you know, a couple of days later I withdraw a hundred and then, you know, I put 20 bucks in uh, a few days later, I withdraw a hundred. I mean, <laughs> it worked for me. I mean, not, not at the level that some people did. Some people got insanely rich off of Dogecoin this year. Uh, but I just found it as like, Oh, here's an easy way to throw in 20 bucks and make a hundred in a couple of days. So it was actually fun to watch and kind of be a part of. Um, again, Ryan said it's not technically illegal. So it was something that, that was kind of fun to, to just 
watch uh, from afar and then kind of dip your toes in the water when it seemed like the timing was right. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I think the only way to really look at that kind of thing is that we have to just admit to ourselves that it's gambling, right? Uh, so the the uh, poker player Barry Greenstein, I think, had a line that said something to the effect. Maybe it wasn't him. Maybe he was borrowing from somebody else. That the uh, the the uh, what is it? The world that is business. Uh, or sorry, the the world that is gambling that we call business looks with great disfavor upon the business that is gambling, or something like that, <laughs> right? And so, so business, and in, in this case, the stock market is, in, in particularly in these cases, is really just gambling. It's saying, hey, okay, I'm gonna uh, bet that other people are gonna keep buying this thing, uh, and then and then sell it later. But there's been other crazes like this as well. I think you know, driven by sort of social demand. Um, I remember Beanie Baby in the what late 90s maybe uh that that were all the craze for a while as well yeah well definitely was something uh a a story that that i i enjoyed uh just looking at throughout the year but moving on to our next derailer which is colorful and for this particular derailer we chose jeff bezos ryan why did we choose jeff bezos (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so now we're getting to our uh, our second person here, and or no, I guess our third person. Um, you know, and, and as we pointed out earlier, it's not really necessarily that we're saying that this person is this thing, uh, but certainly their behavior and actions in some regard this year have been in that way. I think there's there's no better example of uh, doing something that's pretty colorful, pretty dramatic, pretty uh, attention seeking than uh, saying, I'm going to build my own space company and fly myself into outer space. Uh, And by the way, I'm going to take celebrities or people who can uh, uh, pay a whole bunch of money to go or, right, I think he... uh, William Shatner was one of the the, the, the crew members on one of these uh, uh, space flights. So, so I think in in many regards, right? And then what? I think Blake, you were saying that uh, the way when he got back from the space flight, he had a certain outfit on. Yeah, um, he was. I, I think it was the kind of the press briefing after this the successful landing back on Earth. Um, he was Jeff Bezos was wearing a cowboy hat, like a, a space cowboy, which I, I just, I mean, if that doesn't if that doesn't scream colorful, I don't know what does, <laughs> you know, but you know, whether, you know, okay, you can, this can be the derailleur of the year for colorful. However, I think taking William Shatner to space is pretty darn cool. That was, <laughs> that was pretty neat. I know there's a lot of Star Trek fans out there. I'm not even one of them. And I still thought it was pretty cool. So, um, you know, Hats off to Mr. Bezos, cowboy hats <laughs> off, uh, for, for taking uh, Captain Kirk to space. I, I think that was, that was kind of a neat story. Moving on to our next derailer, we have Imaginative. And Ryan actually asked me to talk a little bit about this because um, we chose Joe Rogan for this. You know, fellow podcaster, you know, between uh, our podcast and Joe Rogan's podcast, I think we have a combined about 11 million listeners. <laughs> Um, that's yeah, pretty impressive. Yeah, that's really <laughs> impressive. Um, you know, we won't, we won't get into the numbers as to who has more or what, but, um, <laughs> combined around 11 million per episode. Um, but we chose Joe Rogan because he's been talking a lot on his podcast and he's been in the news a lot also, uh, in regards to COVID. And, um, I, I don't want to call it conspiracy theories. I honestly think Joe Rogan is, he's researching 
um, COVID and uh, he's, he's consuming a lot of literature. I, I think where uh, he, he might get hung up a little bit is that maybe he's consuming so much information. Then he has all of these ideas on how we can treat COVID. And some of them are, are maybe okay ideas. A lot of them are probably not practical. I think that's kind of the thing with imaginative is these people are going to have a lot of ideas. Um, They're the type of person in meetings that they come to you with this completely out of the box idea on how to address a problem or something of that nature. And oftentimes they come up with so many ideas that just seem so out there that they really can't be implemented in a practical manner. However, one thing with imaginative for all the bad ideas that maybe this high imaginative person is throwing out there, you might miss some good ones. So I'm not going to sit here and say that the things that Joe Rogan was saying on how we should treat or handle COVID are all out of touch with reality. I think there's just so many of them that maybe a few good ones got lost in there. So Ryan, what do you, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I mean, I, I think so. <laughs> uh, when you listen to his podcast and, and I don't, I'm not a regular listener like you are, but, but he, it always seems like he has really crazy ideas um, <laughs> for, for a whole lot of things. And it's not just COVID stuff. I mean, I feel like it's really been on the imaginative list this year, but I think in general, he, he does show some imaginativeness tendencies uh, quite a bit. Um, and I think we see that with a lot of people who work in the arts. You know, it was just occurring to me as you were talking about Joe Rogan, I couldn't even remember where he came from. Like, I'm like, wait, where did this guy, like, okay, he did the UFC commentating, and I think he was on the show Fear Factor, but... I'm like, wow, where did this guy even come from? And it's funny when you look him up, he's listed as a um, commentator. Like that's a career, right? (laughs) Yeah. What what is a commentator? I don't know what that really means. Um, You know, like like a sports commentator, that part I get, right? I mean, there there are sports commentators, but he's he's listed as like a – uh, just a commentator, like more broadly, and not not like a sports commentator. Like, well, that's uh, that's pretty interesting uh, um, title. And like, how do you get to that? Where do you come from? And I think what we see here is that people in the arts, in general, in this kind of you know artistic nature, whether we're talking about comedians, whether we're talking about musicians, whether we're talking about actors. That's one of the core characteristics we see with these individuals is that they they are imaginative. They do they have a lot of creative ideas, and some of those ideas um, are pretty far out there. Yeah, and um, you know I do envy Joe Rogan a bit because this guy has a sweet gig. I mean, he gets to just talk to a lot of interesting people. Um, he's a comedian. Uh, he does a UFC commentary and he often says on his podcast, he's like, I just got lucky, <laughs> you know? So, um, you know, if you're out there, you know, maybe you will too. Who knows? Maybe you'll be the next Joe Rogan, but moving on to our next derailer of the year, diligent. And for diligent, we chose COVID. <laughs> So, Ryan, do you want to talk a little bit more about why we chose COVID for the diligent derailer? Yeah, and again, let me go back and, and, and reiterate your point. You know, we're not trying to make light of a situation. Obviously, COVID is very serious and, um, you know, very uh, costly in terms of lives. Um, 
But the reason we think it exemplifies diligence is this damn thing just won't go away. Every time we think, okay, well, we've got, you know, close to herd immunity or, oh, well, we've got enough people vaccinated. Oh, well, there's another. It just keeps mutating and it it just keeps coming back uh, in a different form. Um, And, you know, that's uh, in many ways exemplifies diligence because, Diligent is about persisting, is about saying, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to get all the way through this no matter what. Nothing's going to stop me. Um, in many cases, diligent uh, you know, leads to career derailment because there's times when you should focus on other things. Um, but, but COVID uh, doesn't seem interested in going away anytime soon. It, it insists on uh, persisting and going on. Yeah. And as, as Ryan said, we're absolutely not making light of this. This is a serious issue that we are all still facing, but I think that's why we chose it is, you know, at the beginning we thought, Oh, two weeks and this is going to go away. Well, it's been almost two years and it's something that we're, we're still continuing to deal with. Uh, it's not pleasant. Uh, lives have been lost. Lives have been forever affected. And, um, to those of you who have lost a loved one or anything like that, you know, our, our hearts go out to you. Um, but this, this again, like Ryan said, this damn thing just won't go away. So, and moving on to our final derailer of the year, dutiful. And for dutiful, we chose the U S withdrawal from Afghanistan. So Ryan, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so so dutiful. When we're really talking about you know dutiful as a derailer, what we often see here is um, a lack of leadership, or a lack of direction, or a lack of anybody taking charge. And the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan it's it's a it's a really interesting case because it was actually a bipartisan issue. Uh, or, am I saying that right? I think I'm not saying that correctly. It was. Uh, not a bipartisan issue. It was um, it, both parties, anyway, uh, agreed. This was actually during Trump's um, administration that the U.S. needed to get out of Afghanistan. They needed to put a plan in place to do that. In fact, much of the plan that was used was the plan that was put in place uh, during Trump's administration. Uh, then the administration changed hands, and it was the date sort of arrived, and it was sort of like nobody really prepared. Nobody was in charge. Like all of a sudden, it was like, well, I guess today's the date, so we'll just pack our bags and, and go. Or And really what was needed there was just a much more coordinated effort. Needed somebody to be in charge. Needed somebody to be leading uh, the way. And look – I think there were lots of positives so arguably positive things that came out of the withdrawal um, from a, uh, a human rights standpoint in some respects. Um, uh, lots of Afghanis uh, actually were, were, you know, sort of extradited isn't quite the right word, but, but um, uh, taken out as well. But at the same time, um, the whole withdrawal itself was very chaotic. I mean, there were people like at the airports and just, you know, just really tough to, to, to see videos of people trying to hand off their children to people who are getting on airplanes. Um, you know, uh, the whole thing just says, well, this is just people being dutiful. This is people just following through on a plan and orders without really knowing what's going on or, or having anybody in charge to, to coordinate the whole effort. So um, I think uh, the dutiful was really exemplified by, by this event. Yeah. And, and, this was a very tragic event. Um, it was, I think most people could objectively say it was handled poorly. Um, it, it was 
I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how you would handle it better, but I'm, but I, I would say that we can look at it and say it was handled poorly. I guess just at the end of the day, it was, I mean, it, you just have to ask your, yourself the question, how long are we going to be there? Um, and that was a decision that was going to be left with somebody. And it just happened that to be that Joe Biden was the one who just, just said, okay, we're, we're going. Um, and again, tragic situation. Uh, and it was hard to watch that in the news, but uh, that's you know all the more important why we why we wanted to bring it up and, and apply it to our last derailer of the year for Dutiful. So, with that, Ryan, any closing thoughts before we wrap up our last podcast episode of 2021? Yeah, I, ju- I just want to reiterate that you know these uh, eleven derailers uh, that we've picked that well that a lot of things happened in 2021 that derailed us or derailed people in in a number of ways. I uh, hope that these examples give people uh, an idea of uh, what it, what these derailers are uh, and how they can have in in many cases really epic impacts on outcomes uh you know in terms of dollars in terms of people's lives um and, and just to give a clear example of of uh what does it mean to derail in these specific ways and hopefully this episode could do that. Yeah, and with that, before we wrap up, you know, we want to give a big thank, uh, thank you, and shout out to um, first and foremost our listeners. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, we're we're enjoying this. We're, there's no there's no signs of stopping this train now. We're having we're having too much fun doing this, and uh, we like to thank you know a lot of people who contribute to this podcast that really. You know, you, you hear Ryan and myself all the time, but, you know, John Joyce is our, our editor. Uh, he, he works for Hogan and, and he does a great job editing and putting these episodes together. Uh, even as many times as Ryan and I mess up whenever we're doing this, you don't, <laughs> you don't maybe notice that because uh, we, we've got John there to save the day and uh, produce a, a nice quality episode. I would like to, to also thank, you know, the, the guests who have come on, whether uh, they're from Hogan or external guests, uh, we're so lucky to have such a, a robust network of experts to talk on a variety of topics. And I think we're just uh, really enjoying doing this and we're looking forward to a big 2022. Yeah, I want to reiterate the same points, Blake. You know, thanks to all of the uh, of our listeners. Thanks to those who who are regular listeners. Thanks to those who come in and just listen to an episode here or there. Thanks to those of you who share our podcast with your friends. Big thank you to our guests. Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, Blake, we were, we're very fortunate that we've had a great lineup of guests for, for this first what year and a half of doing a podcast. And I know we've got more great guests lined up in the future as well. And and really. I think, uh, you know, the biggest thank yous go to our supporting staff. Uh, I know your team and marketing helps coordinate a lot of these efforts, Blake, and, and helping come up with ideas and, and, and even connecting us with different guests and things like that. And then, of course, I think, you know, the, the person behind the scenes who does the, the most work that nobody knows, as you mentioned, is, is our editor, John Joy. So, so thanks a lot, John, for all of the work you do for us to make this podcast great. And that does it for the Science of Personality podcast, episode 41. Be sure to join us again on January 11th for a new episode as we ring in the new year. Cheers, everybody. This has been the Science of Personality podcast brought to you by Hogan Assessments. You can access all podcast episodes on our website, scienceofpersonality.com, or on the streaming service of your choice. See you next time. 